Today on this episode of On The Move, a podcast about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world, we are joined by Mao Obaya, who is the director for the International Center of Evangelism in Jos, Nigeria. I'm your host, Leanne White. Welcome, Mao. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. So you and your wife, Janet, are a couple that I have known about for actually over 30 years. As we all attended the same church in Toledo, Ohio, we just attended there at slightly different times. But that's how I I know of you and have family that know and love you. And so I'm really excited to talk to you today. Can we just start maybe by um, telling us where you were born and then uh, what happened in your journey so that you ended up in Toledo, Ohio for a period of time? I was born in a small village of about uh, 300 people called Efi in central Nigeria. Actually, I, my parents were church people and took me to church right from childhood to the extent that even while in primary school, I was in the choir in the village church. But the gospel did not make much sense for me. It was just religion until at 19 when I gave my life to Christ. From then on, this, my story changed significantly because Finishing in Pico College, I went on to uh, university. In 1979, I graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering and got a job with uh, the government of my state at that time. Just the same year that I graduated, my wife also graduated from college and we got married uh, two weeks after we finished our final exam. So we did not even hear our results from college, whether we passed or failed, uh, <laughs> until after our wedding. But uh, that was an exciting time for us. We continued our Christian journey together, for which I am very grateful to God, because she's a woman who loved the Lord, she loved the Lord, and uh, has been a significant part of my journey to heaven, here on earth. And then moved to God to work with the steel rolling company, also owned by the government, for another three years. But in 1986, an opportunity opened for me to uh, travel to the United States to, for further education. And uh, this was under the sponsorship of the federal government in a joint partnership with the USAID. I had that opportunity. I was going to go with my wife and our two children at that time, but the government would not let it happen. So I had to come by myself. I was here for two years, and in that time, the Lord also opened the doors for her to come under the same scholarship to the same university, the University of Toledo. So God was working his own plans out for us. My time in Toledo was very, very uh, meaningful to me. The first eight months I spent shopping for a church and uh, did not find one uh, where I felt welcome. Thanks to God, I had a professor while I was doing my doctoral program uh, who was attending Westgate and still attends Westgate today, Clayton Longmaker. He did not shy away from letting all the students know that he is a Christian. So I walked up to him one evening and I asked him after class, where do you worship? He told me he attended Westgate 
and invited me to come. This was around Thanksgiving. Uh, so I went to church for the service, and at the end of the service, Reverend Valentine uh, walked to the back of the door, stopped at the door, and was welcoming everybody. And then he pulled me apart and started chatting with me. That made me so welcome because I felt like that here is a church where the pastor paid particular attention to a new person. So my wife and I felt very comfortable there. Children started going there. Two children were baptized in Wekke, and I became a deacon in that church. So when the Lord called us to evangelism resources to return to Nigeria in 1994, the obvious place to take up some was Wekke. So we were invited to the platform, surrounded by the elders, they laid their hands on us and prayed for us and commissioned us to go. So we really blessed the Lord uh, for the opportunity. The strange thing about my life is that I read mechanical engineering for undergraduate and uh, read human resource development for my doctoral program. And God called us not, uh, not as engineers or as uh, professors, but as people who develop human resources for his kingdom through the work we do in Nigeria right now. So it's an amazing journey that God has set us on using our secular ed education to help build manpower for the work in Nigeria. Hmm. That's awesome. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you specifically do for um, the International Center of Evangelism, what your role as the director involves, and um, what it is that you are all involved in, what a typical year looks like in your ministry? The assignment we were initially sent home to Nigeria to accomplish was to provide material resources, literature, for pastors of local congregations that they can use for discipleship in their congregation. Most people come to faith in Christ in the churches or outside the churches. They come to church. They are just watched. Many don't grow because they don't know how to study the scriptures. Many fall back to their old ways because nobody pays attention to them. So disciple making, which is the primary focus of the Great Commission, was missing from most churches. And we, we discovered that part of the reason for that was in theological training in seminaries and Bible colleges, the focus is on knowing theology, not the practical ministry of bringing the lost to faith in Christ and nurturing them to maturity, and then commissioning them to serve in the church and outside the church in the marketplace. So this discipleship material was developed initially to be used by evangelism resources in India. But then there was a need to bring this to English speaking Africa. So we were commissioned to do this work for two years. Afterwards, we can come back to the U.S. and continue with what we are doing. At that point, I was teaching at Bluffton College, now Bluffton University, which was just one hour down the road on 75. And uh, we went home and distributed this material. But as we are doing it, a lot of questions were coming about, yeah, you are giving us this material, but we don't know how to use it. So we 
started holding weekend seminars for pastors and church leaders on how to use the material, but emphasizing the need for disciple making, whether they have the material or not, by living the life. So uh, the work was blossoming slowly to the point where uh, evangelism resources now said we normally run schools of evangelism where we train pastors and church leaders on how to preach the gospel either in the marketplace or in their own individual lives, and then how to bring those who have come to faith in Christ to maturity through disciple-making. Then to train them on how to plant churches in communities that have no congregations at all. So these are the three forms training programs that we have. At the beginning, it was a nine-month training program, but most church leaders complain that they cannot leave their congregations for that long to come for this training. So Janet being a curriculum expert and I worked together to include some of the good, but some of the not needed we got rid of and were able to cut it down to one semester. So that's where we are right now. And since 1999 to date, we have trained over 1,000 pastors and church leaders from different parts of Africa, really. Most from Nigeria, but we have people from Cameroon, from Ghana, from Sierra Leone, Liberia. We have people from Malawi and even Haiti. So we have people from different parts of um, the world, uh, English-speaking, that have come to our school for training. And those have gone ahead to start schools in their own country, which is uh, one of the vicarious benefits of our training because we didn't plan that at all. Our program has grown to the extent that we are not just running the school of evangelism. We are also now listening to young people in what we call the Great Commission Challenge Camp, where we bring young people between the ages of 19, 18 to 35, to plan for three days and train them on skills to share the gospel with their friends and peers. And when they come to faith in Christ, to disciple them and then go ahead to send those people to camp for the same experience. This year, 2023, we've done seven of those camps and trained over 350 young people in this camp. What is good about this camp, particularly, is the fact that young people have created means of sharing the gospel that we older people don't have. For example, <laughs> they can chat with their friends on the internet using social media. And we have seen examples of that where they are talking with their friends and actually leading them to faith in Christ, being in different locations, and then discipling them, and then they are serving them back to the Great Commission Challenge Camp for the same experience that they have gone through. So it is snowballing right now in those experiences, and we, we thank God for that. One aspect of our training that I would like to highlight is the fact that in recent years, we've had, especially in northern Nigeria, where there have been terrorist activities and violence against Christians, we've had back from Islam to Christ. Many of them uh, do not understand the gospel fully, 
and uh, some people take them in either on on church premises or as individuals and try to teach them and disciple them. Some of these people uh, have bodies for their community, and they want to know how they can go back and share their faith with their community. And so we have had the privilege over the last several years of training many, many uh, Muslim background believers, MDBs we call them. They have gone back to their community. They understand the Islamic religion because that's where they came from. They know the culture of their people because they, they belong there. So they know how to communicate the message of the gospel, the love of Christ, clandestinely to their friends and family members so that they bring them to faith in Christ. Now, this is not at no risk at all because in most cases, their lives are in danger once they come back and they are chased out of their communities. Their wives and children are taken from them and they are left with nothing. So besides uh, maturing them in the faith, the church has the responsibility of stabilizing them economically and uh, helping them to overcome the trauma of losing everything they have lived for. So uh, this is a many-pronged ministry. But our role is really to equip them to know how to share their faith and to be able to be sensitive to the dangers that surround them so they will know when to move and when not to move. But we've had wonderful stories of some of these people now setting up discipleship centers in their communities and uh, reaching out to those they have lived with the gospel and discipling them uh, because they get to the point where the people get tired and they give up on their on pursuing them. Uh, so they, they get bold and they go back and they continue to leave. In other cases, they continue to chase them so they cannot go back to their community. But these are the group of people now that we are focused on reaching out to because we cannot go to their community. They know us as Christians and we are targets for uh, violence. So uh, it is unsafe for us. But as much as it is unsafe for them, they value the faith they have found, the joy they have found in Christ, and they want to share it at whatever cost. So they can go. They know the language, they know the culture, and they know the new faith they have embraced. And we are so blessed to see the fruit of this training in the lives of these people. So thank you for for especially telling the stories of those uh, Muslim converts and their their faith is just um, inspiring uh, for me personally, and I know for others listening, it will be inspiring that that they see the value of of proclaiming Christ and living for Him even when it's difficult. I want to go back to something that you talked about earlier. And when you were talking about when you first got started with evangelism resources and some of the things that you were doing, and what I heard you saying is that your focus was heavy on discipleship. And my ears perked up at that because at 21C, we are really passionate about discipleship and helping people grow in their faith. And so what I want to talk to you about is I think when a lot of people hear the word evangelism, they think about 
the act of sharing your faith in Christ and a person coming to saving faith in Christ. And they don't think about it as going beyond that. But obviously, evangelism resources goes beyond that. And so can you just talk to us a little bit about your understanding of a complete picture of evangelism and and what that looks like? Evangelism, like going out to share the gospel with an unbeliever, is like recruiting a student, uh, giving a student admission into school. Then the discipleship process is that student going through every stage from, say, kindergarten to first grade, all through to college and to graduate. But there is no end to that process until Jesus calls that person home. Um, so evangelism is introducing the person to Jesus Christ. The person accepts to become a student, a follower of Jesus Christ. But then learning to follow Jesus Christ, which is the discipleship, is a process that takes a lifetime. But discipleship, from my understanding and from what we teach, is not just gathering people together for a Bible study or uh, giving them a seminar on how to pray. It is life on life. Um, what that means is you cannot effectively disciple um, people in a, in a, uh, 50, a group of 50 people and say you are doing discipleship because it's very difficult to impact those 50 people at the same level at the same time. So what we train people to do is to do uh, the disciple-making process in small groups. Uh, in, in our school, what the illustration I usually give, and I said, Jesus had 12. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings and the master of the universe. He called 12 and still lost one out of them. So who am I to dare to want to disciple a hundred people at the same time? Uh, what is involved is much more than just teaching the word to these people. Uh, it means exposing my own life to them so they can see how I'm living a life of following Christ so that they can emulate that. Now, I also let them know uh, in following Christ, I'm not perfect. So what you're learning from me may not be the perfect thing. So you have to turn your eyes to Jesus because I'm trying to follow Jesus. So you have to try to follow Jesus. Don't try to follow me because once in a while I will slip and fall and you will make the mistake that that is how to follow Christ. That is not true. Now, I cannot do that for more than three, four, five people at a time in my life. And there are those who grow in maturity very quickly. And there are those who are very slow. So uh, what we train people, especially in our school and in our training programs, is to do your discipleship bite-size. Bring people to a level of maturity, to the point where you can release them, that they too will now begin to make disciples of their own. At that point, you can let some things go in their lives. But there are there's no graduation. And you need to also know that you have not graduated. You still are a disciple, even though you are discipling others. So that's uh, our understanding. 
But the, the culmination of that is in setting up communities of believers. Uh, some people call them local churches, especially in villages, where people gather together for worship experience, uh, but also to be equipped to reach out to their communities with the gospel. Um, that we call that church planting. And they, we try to explain to them how that happened in the, in the New Testament, how uh, what we call church today by building big buildings and gathering two, 3,000 people is not the church that happened in the New Testament. Uh, in big cities like Ephesus and Corinth, there were halls that they could use, but they still had fellowship and communication with one another with Christ in small groups, in homes. So that's the environment that we encourage people to walk in their disciple-making. Thank you. You've mentioned already that there are areas of Nigeria where there is violence. And we were, before we hit record today, we were just chatting about the fact that violence is a reality in Nigeria. And so can you just uh, maybe tell us how that's impacted you in ministry, how you see that impacting the church in Nigeria? Initially, the problem of violence in Nigeria was targeted at Western, what they call Western education. But of course, Western education in most circumstances has been brought by Christian missionaries into Nigeria. Hmm. So it is obvious that when Western education is attacked, it is the church that is being attacked. So it developed uh, without much intervention in government because it's those in government offices, particularly those who are in charge of uh, national security, are Muslim. And uh, so they do not want to be seen as fighting themselves. So rather than uh, stop these people from their activity, they will look the other way. Sometimes they will go in the, in the public space and make statements that indicate they are opposed to what is going on. But uh, in, the, uh, in their bedrooms and back rooms, in their meeting rooms, they of course give assurance to those people that they are doing that for political experience. So um, the violence started in the northeast of Nigeria. And because there wasn't much check on the activities, it has now spread to practically every part of Nigeria. But the church has borne the brunt of their activities because most of the communities that have been attacked, uh, where the, the people in those community, communities now live in, um, in, term, in IDP camps, are Christian. Their churches are burned, their homes have been burned. Uh, their schools have been burnt down. Uh, their villages and communities taken over by these terrorists. So uh, for a while, Christians could not meet together freely in most of these communities. It spread into the cities also to the extent that even in jobs, on Sunday morning, church service would be going on and uh, a terrorist would load a car with bombs and drive into the building. The bombs will explode and kill the driver, but also kill people in the church. This has happened many, many times. 
talk to the extent that people thought the churches would close down. But the amazing thing is this was when the church was Sunday. Because Sunday mornings were the churches were fairly overflowing. And uh, it got to a point the government had to uh, commission uh, police officers, security officers to surround churches to prevent these uh, terrorists from attacking the churches. And part of the reason they did that was because it was giving the government a bad name in the press outside the country, not because they really uh, care about um, protecting the churches. But it has affected the church uh, in um, a positive way because now people who pretend to be Christians know that they need to take pride, either to be truly Christians and lose their life or pull out and uh, save their lives. So now it's a, we see it as a way of um, purifying the church. It has strengthened the church, it has strengthened, strengthened the resilience of believers in Nigeria. And so the church has grown in numbers. I cannot say that it has grown in spiritual maturity at the same level, but definitely the impact of violence on the church in Nigeria has brought positive results because many people have been able to define their faith and stand on it, which is to the glory of God. So how can we, as American Christians, be praying for the church in Nigeria? First, those whom the Lord has filled by His Spirit will not be discouraged, mm. and that will, will remain steadfast in our faith, no matter what. Uh, Jesus told his disciples uh, in John, John's Gospel, if they hated me, they will hate you. Hmm. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And in Philippians, it talks about the fact that we have been called to a life of suffering. So Christians should not reject challenges like this as uh, God abandoning them. And we need prayer to be steadfast in Nigeria, but also to not stop what God has called us to do in ministry. The tendency is for people to say, well, these people hate us, therefore we are not going to reach out to them. They have rejected God anyway, but we believe that Christ died for Muslims also, mm. and this terrorist also. And we have had testimonies of some of these terrorists actually coming to faith in Christ and they're renouncing their evil ways. So the church has a role to play in reaching these people. So the prayer from the West for Christians in Nigeria is that we will be faithful to our calling, not only to believe in him, but to share the gospel and preach it. Thank you. Thank you. Can you share with us um, your thoughts on the joys and, and maybe even the challenges of pursuing Christ, what that's been like for you in your life? Trump, my greatest aspiration is to know him, to know him more fully every day. So pursuing Christ for me is uh, living a life of constantly in touch with him through the raising of the word, 
and I'm not talking about um, 10 minute morning devotions and that's it, uh, but also studying his word to understand his mind under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And then whatever I, I learn in my understanding of Christ and his will and his plans for me to pursue it faithfully and diligently through the day. And this is where the challenge is, because um, I don't know about your environment in Florida, but in Nigeria, there are so many challenges to being able to live the Christian life faithfully. The uh, socioeconomic conditions cause people to compromise their faith, uh, giving to the pressures of uh, putting food on the table, putting clothes on their backs. All of those pressures are there, and they are challenging to the Christian who wants to be faithful in his work with Christ, especially when majority of the people are doing things, and you can see them uh, advancing in their lives, advancing in quotes, and you are just kind of trailing them at the back. So th those challenges and temptations are there. But... Uh, I am constantly reminded that no matter what, my ultimate destination is not this world, but being in the presence of Christ. And so every experience I go through, however hard it is, is part of God's training me to be more like him. And of course, I am grateful to my wife, who is uh, always constantly deeply in prayer, not only for herself and for the family, but for me as uh, her husband, because that partnership has helped us to grow together in our work with Christ. But again, like you uh, have asked, the answer to that question really is to know him and the pursuit of knowing him involves studying his word, knowing his mind through the spirit and praying to him. And prayer is not just give me, give me, give me, or do this, do that, but purifying my heart and making me more holy and representing him more in his world. What a fantastic prayer for all of us to have, to uh, know him more fully and to represent him in our world. So thank you, Mao, for your time today. Thank you for sharing your heart and what God has done in and through you. Uh, through your role with evangelism resources over these um, almost 30 years. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Move by 21C International. 21C International is a Christian nonprofit organization on a mission to encourage, equip, and empower Christian pastors in the global South by providing free, informal, biblical, and pastoral training. You can visit 21C International to learn more and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform to hear more about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world.